20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I am once again joined by Sam Monson. He, of course, is the co-host of the PFF NFL podcast and lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Sam, it's great to be back chatting with you once again. Unfortunately, on this side of things, not after a Packers victory, but how was your week two in the NFL? Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was uh, another interesting game or another interesting week of games. Um, some fascinating outcomes from throughout the NFL. So yeah, fun, fun second week. It really, really was. Uh, I, I want to actually start out not with the Packers though today, because as we're recording this, some interesting stuff has been going on in Chicago, uh, partly Justin Fields, a lot of other stuff as well. Their starting left tackle is going on injured reserve. Their defensive coordinator is not there at the moment. There's a lot of interesting stuff, but before we get to the sort of breaking news, you also wrote an article this week. It is time. Is it time to press the panic button on Justin Fields? So we had that first of all, then we also got the news today that Fields wants to be less robotic, kind of threw his coaches under the bus. So I'll just let you take all of that from there and your thoughts <laughs> on where Chicago's at and, and Justin Fields and the whole thing right now. Yeah, they're in a pretty bad place, I would say. Um, about the only good news for them is that they have two of the top four picks in the draft upcoming yes. in the first round, given the way things are currently shaping up. But yeah, look, Justin Fields looks bad right now. He looks lost, and, and that's actually a bigger thing. It's not like he's just poor or he actually looks like he's completely out of control, doesn't really know what's happening from a passing point of view. The games usually start okay. You know, the first drive last week was great. He, he executed the game plan. He was throwing in rhythm. He stayed in the pocket. He did exactly what he needs to do. And then from that point on, I think it was the very first play of the second drive. He got sacked. And then almost from that moment on, the wheels fell off and that's been a trend throughout the last year or so of his career is that the start is good. And then once he has to sort of operate independently and outside of the, um, the script, everything goes south. And last week was a really, really worrying group of plays for him where he took a bunch of sacks that were sort of obviously bad from the TV copy, right? You sort of look at me like, what, is, oh, that looked awful, but Sometimes you never know what's going on in coverage, what's going on with the receivers. You know, was it as bad as it looked? Maybe he really didn't have anywhere to go with the ball, and it's still a bad play. You know, right. plays like that, guys like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, they find a way to get rid of the ball or, you know, make something else happen. So, but then you you look at the All-22, and you're like, it's actually worse than it looked. You know, there were receivers open, and not just open at the time he took the sack, but, like, open throughout the play. Um, and in the direction he was reading, you know, not sort of on the backside somewhere and late in the progression where he couldn't have been expected to get to just a horrible process. So either he's not reading what's going on correctly at all, or potentially an even worse scenario where he's reading it fine and simply hasn't got enough confidence in himself to pull the trigger and put the ball in the air anymore. Either one of those is a pretty catastrophic problem in year three for a guy that you know has that much talent and athletic ability and it's kind of crisis mode for Chicago at the moment even independent of everything else that's sort of surfacing I totally agree and it does very much seem that way 
And he, of course, came out and he, you know, he, he was sort of subtle, but not subtle at the same point. He, he was asked, you know, why he felt like he was playing a little bit robotic. He had kind of said that he felt like he was playing a little bit too robotic. And then, of course, the reporters kind of prodded him on a little bit. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was coaching. And it was an interesting, you know, tell right there that he said coaching. I think it was, you know, also just, you know, kind of interesting in general that, you know, he thought he had too much to process. And this is always a dangerous sort of, you know, place to be in because your job as a quarterback is to sort of process all of that information. Now, I also get when you do sometimes have a quarterback like Justin Fields and any quarterback, you want to let them just kind of go out and play and play within the rhythm of the game and let them have a feel for the game. And sometimes you can get that paralysis by analysis, but this feels like a complete turning point and maybe he does just go out and play and feel confident. And we see a better Justin Fields against Kansas city this week, but if not, it just feels like this is going to be a slow burn until they have to burn this all down and start over with another quarterback. Yeah. I, I mean, if that is a true indication of how he feels and how the, the kind of reality is, because Ohio state was an interesting offense when he was coming out in that I had concerns at the time that, it's very, very far divorced from any NFL offense. Like his role within that scheme was to drop back, stare down a target, wait for him to be open, and then fire the ball in his direction. And he was incredibly good at that. And he was incredibly accurate with those throws. But that's not NFL quarterbacking. Like you need to do more. You need to read more. You need to work through various different areas of the field. And you can't just stare down your number one target until the guy's open. It doesn't work that way. So, and that's not to say that anybody coming from a system like that can't do that it's just that you're not showing it every single week and that raises a question can he do that at the next level so fields is now in this situation where he's come from that system where he looked fantastic and now he's struggling with that and he's at least suggesting that he can't do what you need him to do in terms of a full progression a full read um you know working multiple areas consecutively one after the other now, that doesn't mean he can't still function at an NFL level and can't function well, but it, it sounds like it means he can't you know, function like a lot of other quarterbacks. And if you're going to have success with Justin Fields, you need to simplify or pare down what you are asking him to do and change the whole dynamic of the offense, which, again, is doable. You know, quarterbacks have had that done in the past. Quarterbacks can succeed in that kind of system. But number one, it's probably quite difficult to do on the fly in the middle of a season. And number two, probably does put a cap on how good he can be. Um, now, he he offsets that a lot with what he can do on the ground, you know, with his rushing success. But it puts the Bears in a very difficult situation now where their quarterback is kind of openly campaigning for something more um simplified i guess is probably the easiest way of describing it and now you need to figure out how to make that happen at short notice you know on the fly in the middle of a season which is a difficult spot to be in i can't remember if we talked about this a little bit last week or not but i know you wrote about it in the article as well of they haven't really run him at all in the yeah. first two weeks and it does feel like that clearly needs to be a part of his game in some capacity I think the striking thing as somebody who obviously saw Green Bay against Chicago in week one and then Green Bay against Atlanta week two, Atlanta used Desmond Ritter in a couple very significant moments yeah. to carry the ball, specifically on a fourth and four touchdown run where they got around Rashawn Gary on the edge and score a touchdown on the play. They had a plan of attack with Desmond Ritter as a runner 
And Chicago, with, in my opinion, the far superior rushing quarterback, didn't really do that. And I understand wholeheartedly if you want to go into the game being like, and, and just into the season being like, we've got to try to make this guy more of a pocket passer. I still want the fear of God of, in me if I'm a defensive coordinator for another team, or I don't want it of like that you're going to run Justin Fields at any time, at least like show it early in a game. Like it could come at any moment, at least as a bluff, if nothing else, but it just never felt like Chicago even had any interest in doing that, which does seem to take away his greatest skill set. It's just so interesting. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and they did this last year, right? They, it took them six, seven weeks to have this epiphany of, hey, why don't we draw up a bunch of design run plays for what turns out to be one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the game's history, right? Yeah. And as soon as they did that, everything changed. They went from, I think, through six weeks, Justin Fields had 22 rushing yards last year on design carries. And then that went from like 22 would be a low game from that point on, you know, a low right. single game. They, they kind of figured that out, that this changes the whole dynamic. And then it's like that information just fell out of their heads in the offseason, and they've completely forgotten those lessons that they learned and maybe have to relearn them all over again. But it's it seems crazy to me that you would not tap into that as a design part of the offense with a guy as good as Justin Fields. I've been campaigning for the Falcons to do it with Desmond Ritter, even though he's not even in the same ballpark of right. athleticism as – Justin Fields is or, or rushing threat and yet and they have started to do that right because yeah. it's it's low-hanging fruit it's sort of free yardage it's cheap and easy plays because you're putting the defense in a really difficult situation in any of these situations and the Falcons with Ritter I mean they did it from the pistol like they were going back to Colin Kaepernick plays uh to pull this out so it's crazy to me that Chicago is not tapping into that as part of Fields offense which will only help him in other areas as well Completely agree. It seems crazy. I think something's going to have to change. My guess is we start seeing a little bit of it this week, but like you said, it's hard to adjust some of that on the fly. Now they they, they play Kansas City this upcoming week, which is not going to make anything any easier either. So I think uh, probably gets worse before it gets better in Chicago. But as you mentioned, it's going to be the Chicago Bear and Arizona Cardinal top of the draft next year with probably both of them having two of the top four or five picks. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out with the quarterbacks at the top of the draft next year as well. I, I want to ask you kind of before we get to Packer stuff, one other question. You obviously see so much stuff through the course of the NFL and watch so much tape. We're only two weeks in, so it's still very, very early. But have there been any trends that you've started to pick up on through the course of the league? Anything that's in vogue through two weeks? Anything that's changed from 2022 into 2023? Just anything that's sort of piqued your interest so far? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. The first couple of weeks, I don't think you ever see teams start copying each other yet. You know, that takes right. a while to happen. But the things that they might copy are the things that you pick up on, you know, in the first couple of weeks. And this wrinkle or solution to a problem that Miami has come up with, I think, is very interesting. They've changed their how they deploy their receivers with motion. Um, they ran a ton of they use a, to a ton of pre-snap motion last year. But it was the same way that everybody else does it, which is usually one side of the formation to the other or, you know, one side of the formation to the other and back again. Miami is now getting these guys in motion on the same side and in much shorter space spaces of, uh, of real estate and time. So the defenses don't have time to adjust. They don't have, you know, the the time and space to roll their coverages, to swap assignments, to pass off different assignments pre-snap. But as soon as Tyreek Hill is on the move, He's, he gets five yards to get up to speed and they're snapping the ball and he's gone. And the defense doesn't have a chance 
to change anything. They just have to figure out how to uh, manipulate that and how to handle that on the back end. I think that's a really, really intelligent um, change up from what was happening last year where getting Tyreek Hill at the full speed is great, but teams had enough time to figure out how to counter it and how to, you know, make adjustments to their assignments on the back end. Now they don't have that time and you're seeing what it's doing to them. Yeah. Some of those quick pre-snap adjust or like pre-snap motions are, are giving teams a lot of different complications on the back end. Um, yeah. Anytime you can get those players up to speed a little bit more and anytime you can just cause confusion at, you know, whether you want to call it the mesh point or just at the line of scrimmage before the ball is snapped, all those assignments and those rules go into flux very, very quickly. And it makes everyone have to think on the fly. And the more you have to think on the fly, the more breakdowns you're going to have. And Tyreek Hill doesn't need a breakdown in and of right. itself just to be successful. And if he gets one, it's just over. So uh, Mike McDaniel's just playing at a, or coaching at a different level right now. I have on my to-do list to watch some Miami tape because I've heard some awesome stuff about it. So definitely going to have to check that out. I also loved, uh, apparently somebody in New England has been playing Madden for a very long time because everyone in Madden for years tries to take that player off the edge uh, to block that kick. And somebody actually did it in real life and blocked the kick. So I'm interested to see in week three, how many teams are using a, a field goal block uh, in motion to try to block a kick in, in uh, week three after the Patriots successful block. Yeah. I don't know that we'll get too many of those. I think they, they saw something very specific in the sequence of the kicker and the punter, uh, you know, punter was a former Patriot player. So I think they knew something specific to that guy that was like, Hey, as soon as he drops his head, as soon as he makes this movement go, because you've, that's the timing, right? I just, I just, a teams can change that week to the next. And like, he will have to change that one week to the next. If that is what teams have found and sure. B not everybody has that. Right. So uh, you might get a couple of teams trying that a bit, but I think that was very specific to that one game. Very well, very well. Could be a great point on the punter being a former Patriot. Uh, let's jump into uh, Packers and Falcons. Just, you know, thousand foot view. What was your sort of overall takeaway from this game? Yeah. I mean, a close game. I think these are two teams in a broadly similar bucket in the NFC in terms of either one of those teams could make a playoff run, could, you know, challenge at the end of the season. They're both probably in that sort of around 500 type of area by the end of the season, but they're also both moving in the right direction. I think, you know, Jordan Love, he comes on and, and continues to develop over the course of the season, given how young that receiving core is, all those kinds of things. You know, I think this was an entertaining game for that reason. Two pretty closely matched teams, two pretty exciting teams, given the talent that they have, and two relatively young and inexperienced teams moving forward. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think we saw some of that youth and inexperience in the fourth quarter for Green Bay. Sure, 12-point lead going into the fourth. Felt like they probably had things under control. And then Things went in the exact opposite direction. I was impressed with Atlanta. I thought when Green Bay got that 12-point lead, it was they, they were just going to have to turn it over to Desmond Ritter and be like, all right, we're going to have to throw the ball a ton. And they really kept things balanced. They did get the big play on the flea flicker on the third and three, which kind of got them back in it. But overall, they, they stayed very balanced throughout the course of the game. I want to ask you about Bijan Robinson as well. I, I, I'm, I'll be totally honest. I'm not familiar if you're on the – don't draft running backs early in the draft uh, bandwagon or not, and don't spend premium assets on it. I'm generally in that boat, but man, Bijan Robinson, uh, and, and I know he's different, um, and, and we're starting to see that in real time. Some of the plays that he has, and, and I know everyone's seen the play where he jukes out about three different Packers on the same run, and uh, Atlanta has a really cool, um, I don't know, rooftop view yeah, of it. Like a sky they, cam thing. Yeah, it's super, super cool. 
not awesome to see against Green Bay, but still really fun <laughs> nonetheless. But uh, your thoughts on A, B. John Robinson, the player, and then B, does that change any sort of draft philosophy moving forward with these teams maybe now hitting on a, a Gibbs and a Robinson in the first round of this draft? Hello, friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA Finals, and I desperately wanted to go to Game 6 in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane, and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. Goodbye Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Now thankfully, the day of the game I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used Game Time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using Game Time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the Game Time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can get images of your seat before you buy, you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two clicks only in fact, and tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never need to dig through your email. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and roll for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, my my thinking on it has evolved a bit over the years. Um, I, I kind of talked a lot about this pre-draft specific to Bijan Robinson because I think drafting a guy high is a lot less egregious than paying a guy a big money second contract. I think that's the first point. So there's a lot more justification for drafting somebody high in the draft. Now, I, I think to start with, the question you always should ask is, do I need this running back to come in and fix the running game by himself? If the answer to that question is yes, forget it. Don't touch yeah. him because he can't. He can't do that on his own. The The situation needs to be there for him to have success before you even get him. So only if the answer to that is no. I already have a good run game. It can work anyway. Now you can move on to the next set of questions. And then the case is, well, how high can you draft this guy? The first one is contract-wise, right? The higher up the draft you go, the higher that contract goes, and the more money you're paying this guy, whether or not he's good, right? And 
that starts to get expensive when you get into the top five, top sure. six. If you're eight, which is where they drafted him, you're fine, right? B. John Robinson is now, I, I haven't actually checked where his contract slots in, but it's like he's one of the better paid running backs in the NFL, but he's not, you know, the best paid running back in the league right from day one, right? So that's okay. That's fine. That's He's paid what he should be, essentially, based yep. off what we're seeing from him. Then the other question is opportunity cost, right? And it's what are you leaving on the table to draft this running back at eight at, in the top 10 or wherever? That's where that's going to depend on the draft. It's going to depend how the, the picks go ahead of you. And it's going to depend on your needs as well, right? And there are going to be times where the answer to that question is no, the opportunity cost to draft the running back is too great. We're leaving the best wide receiver in the draft on the table. We're leaving the second best edge rusher in the NFL on the table, you know, something like that. At which point you have to say, look, as good as this guy is, it makes more sense to pass and to take the more important position and the more important need. But there are times where the answer to all those things lines up and I don't have a problem with drafting him a number eight overall. And I think Bijan fit into that category. The Falcons already had a good run game. Tyler Algier gained a thousand yards last year. Every running back they used had at least 4.8 yards per carry. So Bijan didn't need to fix it by himself. Right. Um, number two, the contract we talked about, it's fine. He's well-paid but commensurate with how good he is and number three i don't think the, the the way this draft works it was low on blue chip prospects anyway i don't think the falcons were leaving any like ridiculous superstar on the board the possible exception of jalen carter but you can at least understand why that was a no um to do this at which point draft him and then you get into this extra layer for Bijan specifically which is he might be insane <laughs> like, like whatever about how good a running back is and i think generally this is terrible process to think this yeah. guy is special to think this guy is a unicorn this guy is different when you start chasing exceptions you get yourself into trouble but every now and again there's going to be an exception and Bijan robinson might be that guy he might be the best running back to come into the draft since adrian peterson in yep. what 2007 yeah um every play you see from him like, no matter how good you thought he was, you come away from that play thinking he was better. I already thought Bijan Robinson is special. And every time I've seen him this season, I'm like, I was I was too low on him. Like, yeah. he is ridiculous. Um, so all those things kind of align. I think the Falcons have drafted an absolute star. And, and they have the capacity to kind of keep him reasonably fresh and not, you know, give him 400 touches in year one. And I think the other thing too, for, for drafting running backs early that both Robinson and Gibbs have too, are the ability to be impact players in the passing game. And yeah. I think that sort of changes the dynamic too. If I always go with like the Christian McCaffrey, if, if you can like literally move him out wide and if you've got a linebacker on him, you're, you're immediately scared. Like that just changes the dynamics too. And, and Atlanta has two sort of unicorns in that way. And Green Bay got a, a little bit of a dose of this of, Hey, if, if you're going to come out and you're going to play base defense against this team, they can put Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson out wide, and now you are in no man's land. We saw it on a big third down where they got Bijan on the, the one spot, and he just runs a slant. Devondre has to play off of him. They get a little bit of a natural rub slash pick, and Bijan, it's just an easy as day pitch and catch to Bijan for a first down. So um, he's a really, really fun player. The first three drives, I think I noted, like he only got the ball like four or five times on the first five drives, and Atlanta didn't use him a ton. And because you were looking at it, like Green Bay had like a fairly decent amount of success. I think they got the interception. Um, there was, a, I think, a turnover on downs and a field goal in the first three drives. And I'm like, man, Green Bay's defense looked a little bit better early on. And then I looked at it, I'm like, oh, they just didn't use Bajan that much those first three drives. And then they had that ninth or that crazy run. And then after that, it was a bigger dose of Bijan. And 
the game entirely changed. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have a running back that is a, a high-end player in the passing game, it's huge. I think the splitting him out wide thing is a little bit overrated, but we saw in week one what Aaron Jones can do just in yeah. conventional terms, right? If you have sure. a guy who moving him out of the backfield, just a little pivot right over the middle, if he's going to eviscerate the linebacker that's one-on-one -on -one with him, that's what you need. It doesn't need to be, I don't need to split him out wide. I don't need to put him in the slot. If I can just, if he's just a mismatch versus the guy covering him, that's how we win. Great, great point. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit more about the actual Green Bay players in this game. I wanted to start with offense. Two highest graded players for Pro Football Focus this week were the two rookie wide receivers, Jaden Reed and Zontavian Wicks. Your thoughts on Green Bay's two uh, two rookies at that spot? Yeah, and I, I don't know that either one of them, like neither one of them was lights out, you know, amazing, incredible, but they both played well. Um, yeah. Jaden Reed in particular, like the, the sort of jet sweep touchdown that he had was an incredibly good run. Like he beat a couple of guys to get in there. Um, when he got the handoff, it didn't look like that was really on the table. And he made that happen with speed and a little bit of power. Wicks doesn't show up in the stats. Remember, first play of the game, right? He's open behind the defense and he draws that pass interference call on AJ Terrell, which is a huge play. Like part of me, I go back and forth on this. There are some plays where I think wide receivers deserve to be credited with pass interference yardage. There are other plays where they just get lucky, right? And the dude, the defender just makes a terrible play and, like he didn't do anything to draw that, but Wicks was open deep and, and you know, you could absolutely credit him with that yardage. Uh, so I thought both players looked pretty good. Wicks in particular was really close to, you know, another couple of plays that would have made his stats look an awful lot more impressive. Had one in the end zone that was, was close to coming down with. So I thought both guys looked good. Yeah. AJ Terrell had a couple of big plays. The one in the back corner of the end zone against Dontavian Wicks was a phenomenal play by AJ. I think, 90% of corners in Love and Wicks hit on that touchdown, but uh, Terrell played it perfectly. And then I'm with you. I think the the flea flicker, I think it's interesting too, the trust that they had in Wicks on that play. They could probably mm. run that play to anyone, you right. know, on the first play of the game, that's probably getting open no matter what. And they decided to run it to Dontavian Wicks and um, obviously worked perfect. And I'm with you. I think he was open. I think he deserved it. There's another pass interference. I think it went to Dobbs later in the game where it was underthrown in the corner, just tackled him and Dobbs yeah. really didn't do much on the play to your point earlier. So you do get a little bit of both of those, but yeah, I, I was really impressed with both, uh, both rookie wide receivers and yeah, that, that sweep to Jaden Reed. I don't know. I, I don't know that they've had I, Christian Watson could have done that uh, last year, but right. not many green Bay wide receivers could, could have made that play uh, to the corner of the end zone. Also want to ask you on the defensive side, your highest graded defensive player, Quay Walker. I was very encouraged by Quay really through the first two weeks of the season, but uh, your thoughts on Quay this week. Yeah. Similar story. Like I don't think he was lights out, but I think he was quite impressive quietly um, in coverage as well, which is, yeah. is always not necessarily is, has been a strength over, over time came really close to a pass breakup on one play. That was a nice, uh, nice read and a nice reaction to what was going on. Um, made a really nice snag on or tackle on Bijan Robinson in open space, which is not apparently is really difficult to do, judging by the first couple of weeks. Um, he was able to get one of those done. Yeah, just a, a solid game from him where he didn't make any glaring mistakes, made a couple of nice plays and was really close to a, a big one that would have jumped his grade significantly. Yeah, if he would have held on to that interception, that certainly would have been a, a game changer as well as a, a grade changer, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I'm just very encouraged. I, I think he's flying around much faster than he was a season ago, getting off blocks a little bit better. Um, and like I said, I've been encouraged with him through the first couple weeks of the season. 
I'm sure, Sam, you are probably immune by now and PFF's probably immune by now because every, every single time you put out a grade, there's going to be somebody that's probably unhappy with it in some capacity one way or the other. Um, like I said, I've, I've been there. I've been doing grades since 2017, so I, I get it a lot as well. But I know this week it has been the grades for Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon, respectively. In Green Bay, from Green Bay side of things, everyone very, very pleased, encouraged, excited about Jordan Love. Every like AJ Dillon's like public enemy number one in Green Bay because of the you know just lack of explosive running ability through two weeks. So when they see Jordan Love with a 59.3 grade in this game and AJ Dillon with a 66.9 grade, everyone of course wants to immediately lose their mind and be like, all right, PFF sucks. What are we doing here? So I just want to ask, yeah, you know, obviously in this case, again, what what did PFF see with Love and Dillon in this game? Yeah, I think Love's grade jumped up a little bit again. I think he's up in the 60s somewhere now. There was one um, play that he got at a little bit of extra credit for uh, the corner route somewhere that, that got an extra little boost. Uh, yes. But general point is, is the same, right? The yep. two guys, broadly speaking, in the same area in terms of grade. Love, again, it's the same story as, as last week, right? It was the dangerous play that didn't get counted in the box score. Um, he... Could have, should have thrown a pick six. Was it A.J. Terrell as well in this one? Yep, it was. Where, um, you know, way to the right-hand side. And so you look at that play, the receiver does a crappy job. Um, he does. That's the first thing. So, but, so you look at it and you go, wow, I don't know if that's even his fault. That was a really bad play by the receiver. Corner plays it really well. But when you watch the end zone view, once it gets there, you see how far inside that ball was left. And that's the dangerous part of it. It's not that his receiver got owned in the route and the Horner was able to jump it and get position. It's that that ball is left far inside, which is towards the corner's leverage. And that's where it becomes dangerous um, because now you're asking your receiver to make something good happen to avoid it being a, a really negative play. So that's really been the story for Jordan Lovo those first couple of weeks is he's played well, but in, in each game, there's been at least one play in there where there's been something dangerous that hasn't ended up being punished. And you know, this is the concept that we battle against all the time. Like there are people out there that simply don't believe that well, if it didn't happen, it didn't count. Right. Yeah. But the whole point of PFF grading is to try and quantify this stuff that happens, but you're not necessarily punished or rewarded for it in terms of results. Right. Because that's how you actually evaluate how well a guy is playing. And theoretically, how well he's going to play in the future is by accurately quantifying what he's doing. So with love, it's been those plays. Dylan, I think he's just been unlucky. I mean, running backs, we talk about all the time, right? It's that idea of, do you need him to do it all by himself? If the blocking's not there, the running back's not going anywhere, right? And A.J. Dillon is averaging, what is it, 3.7 yards per carry, something like that in this game. Two point, like eight of them came after contact. Like he was doing most of the, any yardage he did get, most of it was coming after he got hit. Like he was doing the heavy lifting by himself. So we talked about how good, the offensive line is or can be it just hasn't opened the holes for him yet right so that's yeah, the, i mean that's his story the run blocking has been really bad for green bay through two weeks and this week bakhtiari not being there and then elton jenkins going out certainly didn't help things either but now you, you I, I posted a a, a a clip of every single one of his running plays from the end zone view, just so people could get a view. I thought there were a couple of runs that he could have done better on. Certainly there's the play where he trips over his feet, a couple of plays where he trips over his feet and doesn't keep contact balance that I'm sure he'd like to have back. But at the same time, even on the, the one play, the third and one that everyone wants to talk about. Yeah. He probably needed to stay up more and probably should have picked up that yard. Um, the blocking wasn't going to get him more than right. a yard on that play, you know? So uh, it has been a little bit of both. And I'm, Oh, go ahead. 
Well, that and that's why, you know, I'm not advocating for the man to, you know, be an all pro or anything. That's <laughs> right. why he graded in the 60s, right? Like he hasn't got a great grade. I'm just saying that yeah. neither has got anything to work with, you know? I'm totally with you. And I'm so glad you brought up the Malik Heath throw because I think it's a really uh, interesting play as well from just in general, the thought process, because you look at that play and I, I looked at it as well. I, I'm totally with you. My first initial reaction is that's way more on Malik Heath. He got eaten alive. It's a great play by AJ Terrell. I also I think you you mentioned the, the throwing inside, which I totally agree with. But I, I also think you have to figure out at some point as a QB, you have to weigh risk and reward. It's like a third and ten. If that ball is completed, if he throws a perfect ball there and it's completed, it's probably two yards short of the sticks, and it's probably right. a fourth and two, and you're punting away anyway. And so the 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 reward is you're punting and you got eight yards further on the, the punt. There's just no reward there. Maybe you get a pass interference play, uh, but you can't hope for that. The risk is it's literally a pick six and it might've ended the game right then and there. So even if Malik Heath got eaten alive and also you, you sort of have to be cognizant of who's going against two, your undrafted free agent wide receiver who had played a smattering of snaps at best through the course of that game versus one of the best corners in football who was outside of the pass interference on the first play of the game had a pretty dang good, good day and was really impressive. Maybe, maybe not the matchup that you want to pick on to throw a trust ball to Malik Keith against AJ Terrell in that situation. So I did think that even aside from the ball, the, the decision-making process probably wasn't the best on that play. No, agreed. You can definitely question the decision even before you, you start factoring in the execution of it. A couple quick ones, then we'll get you out of here. Uh, first of all, Packers, Saints this week. I know two guys that you've had very highly rated, Chris Olave on offense, Carl Granderson on defense. You don't have to necessarily talk about them, but anything you're looking at from a Saints standpoint. Also, we learned today, Marcus May suspended for the next three day, or three games, excuse me. So he is going to be out versus Green Bay. Yeah, the Saints are fascinating on offense because their receivers are amazing. Um, yeah. Michael Thomas might not be quite where he was at his peak, but he looked good still. Um, and he he brings something different to the other guys. But Olave, Michael Thomas, Rashid Shahid is an incredibly dangerous playmaker. That trio alone gives them just a nightmare uh, of, of options to try and match up with. But then you have Derek Carr not playing particularly well at the quarterback, getting them the yeah. football. They're a really interesting team because of that dynamic. On defense, Carl Granderson, I think, is their best defensive lineman now. Like Cameron Jordan is aged to the point where he's still solid, but he's not the, the threat that he used to be. But Granderson is getting after it. Um, I think they're another team in that they're not the same in terms of, you know, young up and coming team, but they're probably in the same sort of bucket of they're probably still favorite for that division. They're a playoff type of team, um, but they're not like they're in the same area, I think, as Green Bay and Atlanta. I think that's what makes this matchup really fun again for Green Bay is it's such a great litmus test for both of these teams. New Orleans is 2-0. They go on the road now to Green Bay. They're on a short week. They played Monday night. Meanwhile, Green Bay coming off a really tough loss. Can they pick up – this is their first home game. Can they pick up their win at home? And you have this very young Packers offense, which is going against the Saints defense that, as you mentioned, isn't necessarily green and growing anymore, but they've got the DeMario Davises, the Cam Jordans, the Carl Grandisons, the Michonne Lattimores. Like they've got a lot of veterans on this defense that um, are going to be very – you know knowledgeable and aware of what green Bay probably is going to want to do. So I think that matchup is really fun here as well. Um, last thing before we get you out of here, I would be remiss not to ask you. In fact, I probably was a mistake not to ask you last week, but as a Irish born person yourself, if I'm not mistaken, Daniel mm -hmm. Whalen punter for green Bay, yeah. Irish born. Uh, I think that hasn't happened in a very long time. If I, if memory serves 1980 and, something. Yeah. Yeah. 1980 something. And PFF's fifth highest rated punter right now in the NFL. So your thoughts on uh, Irish born Daniel Whalen. 
Yeah, I mean, he's been playing well. Look, I rugby background, how could he possibly fail? Irish exactly. born, like it's tailor made for the man to dominate the rankings. I, I, I agree. And uh, somebody said, well, you know, will he be able to punt in the cold? I'm like, these Irish, give him, you know, give him whatever, uh, you know, Irish whiskey he needs before the game. He'll be able to rocket every punt he needs, no, you know, known to man. So no, I'm very excited about that as well. And, and, and Green Bay's been, it's been a long time since Green Bay's had a, a solid punter. So hopefully he can be the answer and, and the long-term answer at punter for Green Bay. Sam, uh, obviously everyone can follow you at uh, the Pro Football, fo- Pro Football Focus podcast, as well as on Pro Football Oh my goodness. As well as on pro <laughs> football focus, easy for me to say, but uh, tell us uh, where we can find your work and what you're working on. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Twitter slash X uh, PFF underscore Sam and the PFF NFL podcast. That's where you find me. So much easier for Sam to say than for me to say, but uh, always appreciate you. You do amazing work. Make sure to give him a follow. If you're not following him already, make sure to give the PFF NFL podcast a listen as well. Make sure to subscribe there. Make sure to subscribe here on the pack a day podcast. That's going to do it for us today, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.